to 1 Corinthians chapter 1. We're going to begin at verse 21. locked the door, didn't you? You made me think of somebody when you did that. First Corinthians, first chapter, verse 21 through 31. I have titled this, Blind Philosophers Enlightened by Inspired Believers. This passage of scripture, Paul is speaking to people who are tempted by intellectuals. I will tell you that that has been one of my number one problems in my Christian walk is my intellect. I don't brag when I tell you that the U.S. government classified me as a genius and put me in a situation that required, I was in the top 10%, so to speak, of the United States Army. So that's where I got into the espionage business. But uh, there's a little voice that whispers in your ear, and I don't know whether you've ever experienced it or not, but when we talk about an eternal God, who had no beginning and has no end and he changes not. That little voice in your ear says, surely you're too smart to believe that. Everything has a beginning. Everything has an end. And what's this baloney about eternity? And this is something that if, if you are going to live by faith, you have to put that aside. Because quite frankly, intellectually, it doesn't fit. But this man that wrote this book, this particular passage, under the inspiration of the Holy Spirit, was a genius. 
Saul of Tarsus was born into a wealthy Jewish family. Otherwise, he could not have afforded to sit at the feet of Gamaliel, who was one of the top Jewish teachers of that time, was one of the best Jewish theologians that there ever was. Paul had just left Athens where he contended with the Greek scholars on their level. Paul had that ability. I am of the opinion, and this is just my opinion, so it's like belly buttons. Everybody's got one. But I am of the opinion that we would know of Saul of Tarsus today just like we know of Aristotle and Plato and Socrates. He was of that caliber mentally. And at the time that Paul lived, he was shortly after the death of Jesus on the cross and the ascension. If that man of intellect could believe and teach as he did, who am I to say that is not true? And so let's begin with verse 21. It says this, For when the world with all its earthly wisdom failed to perceive and recognize and know God by means of its own philosophy, God, in his wisdom, was pleased through the foolishness of preaching to save those who believed. Now, you look at this, and in Romans, it talks about the study of nature. I hear people say, how can anyone look up at these stars in this universe and not believe there is a God? Romans says that. But no study of nature ever led a man to the true worship of God. It does not happen. The worship of God is brought about by the revelation of God himself through his Holy Spirit. The philosophers of the world, they might concede that there's a creator out there somewhere, but they still do not know how to worship him, and they do not know him of the God of truth and righteousness. So, nature never reveals God's grace and mercy. It reveals his handiwork. But what? God's word brings out the simple, emphasized simple truth. It says, God in his wisdom was pleased through the foolishness of preaching. 
Now, this does not mean that preaching is foolish or that we preach a foolish gospel. This means that a lot of those people out there in the world, the secular humanist, which is the official religion, by the way, of the public education system, they say that what I am saying right up here right now is foolish. They say there is no eternity. It's an illusion that we've created in our mind that we believe in a God and there can't be any God. That's just that's just foolish to believe that. And that's what it means here when it says the foolishness of preaching. We preach what to the world is foolish. But see, it says that God chose to save those who believe through the foolishness of preaching. I was made very aware, I mentioned Billy Hammonds a minute ago, I was made very aware of this one time. I went with Billy Hammonds, guy that used to own the taxi cab company here in town, the white guy. Well, I can't remember his name. I think so. We went to visit him one day. And when you go out like that in twos, one is supposed to witness and the other one is to pray. So Billy was presenting the gospel in all its inherent simplicity to this man. And I'm sitting over there as a prayer partner and I'm thinking in my intellectual, analytical mind that if this man believes this, I'd be totally surprised because it doesn't make a lot of sense. But when Billy asked him, he said yes. I went one night to Ray Winder Field to hear Billy Graham. Billy Hammonds was going to be up on the greeting line up there for the people coming down. The birds were flying. The stars were shining a little bit. It was early evening. The crowd was moving around. And I thought to myself, in my analytical self, that if anything happens here tonight, it'll have to be of God because it sure is not of atmosphere or anything else. And Billy Frank Graham was standing up there preaching, and Billy Frank Hammonds down on the ground could have preached the same sermon just as well as Billy Graham did. Billy was that good a preacher. But when Billy Graham said, you need to start coming now because some of you have a long way to go. And the people started filtering out of the stands. 
and going across that field. See, there's something in the power of God's word that is foolishness to the world. But I'll guarantee you one thing, there's power there. There's power there. It changes people. It causes people to respond. The Holy Spirit can only attest to that. When you're witnessing, if you do not have the testimony of the Holy Spirit, you might as well be talking to one of those doors back there because they're not going to receive it. I cannot, with all my persuasive powers, and I have persuasive powers, don't I? (laughs) With all my persuasive powers, I could not convince any one of you to become a Christian. That is the ministry of the Holy Spirit. So it brings out the simple truth. The 22nd verse says, For while Jews ask for signs and miracles, and Greeks pursue philosophy and wisdom, 23rd verse says, We preach Christ crucified, which to the Jews is a scandal and an offensive stumbling block, And to the Gentiles, it is absurd and utterly unphilosophical nonsense. Now, Paul's hitting them right where it means to be. See, the Jews demand signs and wonders. The Jews were picked by God because they were the most hard-headed, stubborn, stiff-necked, recalcitrant people that uh, occupied the face of the earth and everything that Moses and all the rest of them did had to be attested by signs from heaven. They demanded of Jesus, signs from heaven. Show us who you are, where you're from. You know, they always demanded signs and wonders. We still have people today that follow after signs and wonders. But you have this situation. The Jews, crucifixion, the worst ignominious death that there is, and you want me to believe that's the Messiah? The Messiah will come in power and glory and he'll set up his kingdom here on earth, and we'll be back where we belong. We'll be number one. The Jewish people believe they're supposed to be the number one ruling class of the world. So they want this signs and wonders. And the Greeks, who is this? You expect me to believe that some peasant carpenter from Galilee who was executed is a means for salvation? Doesn't make any sense. Doesn't make any sense. We've got to, we, we've got to st- study more than this. 
We've got our philosophers to tell us what way that we should go and how we should live. So it's not for us. Why did they have more converts at Corinth than they did in Athens? Because Athens was the cosmopolitan city. Corinth was a seaport and had all kinds of people. And there was people in Corinth that believed this simple gospel. So, Christ crucified, scandal or absurdity? Which way? Which way do we believe? Neither one. Paul didn't think it was a scandal, and he didn't think it was an absurd preaching. He told the Corinthians, I didn't come here to be eloquent in my speaking. I came here to preach Christ crucified. But the verse 24 says this. But to those who are called, whether Jew or Greek, Christ is the power of God and the wisdom of God. Who says this is true? Only the called. Only the called will ever comprehend the wisdom and receive the power. Scripture tells us that no man can be saved unless he is called by God. You think you can go out here and by reason and talk and pleading that you can convince anybody to be a Christian, you better think again. Because the call comes from God. Some people don't like that. They like to think that, well, I can be saved anytime I want to. I'm just not ready right now. You've heard that. I'm just not ready. One of these days I will. Only if the Spirit calls. The Scripture also says the Spirit will not strive always. There is a day. Old Hollywood guy. Go away, kid. You bother me. That one. What was his name? W.C. Fields. Yeah, thank you. I, the name has slipped me. W.C. Fields was on his deathbed. Had a Bible in his hand. And someone walked in and said, Well, Bill, have you changed? He said, Nope, just looking for loopholes. And that's how he died. This story is told of a man who said that in his younger days, during a sermon, he felt 
the call of God upon him, the Holy, the Holy Spirit. And he said, I made a bargain with God that day. He said, I told him if he'd leave me alone, I'd leave him alone. And he said, I'm sorry to say that he kept that bargain. Knew that he never would have any hope. Because God honored his request. You leave me alone, I'll leave you alone. But only the called will ever comprehend. This is because the foolish thing that has its source in God is wiser than men. And the weak thing that springs from God is stronger than men. See, I, I said here, this verse says, omnipotent God. Omnipotent means all-powerful versus arrogant man. Man in his arrogance thinks that he can accomplish. God himself said something about man's intellect. When they were on the plains of Shinar, and they were building what we call the Tower of Babel, which was a ziggurat. That's that thing where they go back and forth, back and forth, get up there where they it's where they study the stars and worship them. God says in His Word that because they are of one language and of one mind, nothing they think of will be impossible to them. Now that's the comment of God on the human mind. That's quite a statement. Why are we in a technological explosion today? The whole world is of one mind and one language. What's the language? Ones and zeros. Ones and zeros. I can get to my computer and I can send an email to Beijing, China to a person that has never studied English but he can get my email because it'll come out of his computer in Chinese. And he can email me back and it'll come out of my computer in English. That's what we are today. We are back to one common language worldwide. And the technology is exploding at such a rapid rate that this phone I bought the other day is probably coming up on being obsolete. The first phone we ever had was one of them. And it's long, long ago become obsolete. When my aunt went to work for Southern Bell, her phone number in West Memphis was 699. And you pick up the phone, and someone said, Number, please. 
And we'd say, Miss Elsie, please, because we wanted to go to the store or something. And they'd transfer it down. She sat on one of them high stools at the switchboard, you know, doing, doing all this. And she retired with that company years later. But we're of all one language now. And God says we can do anything we think about. So, what do we think about? Not God. For consider your own call, brethren. Not many of you were considered to be wise according to human estimates and standards. Not many influential and powerful. Not many of high and noble birth. Consider yourself and most other Christians you know. This does not mean that an intellectual man can't be saved. This does not mean that a rich man cannot be saved. The call is universal to all men. But many people are too busy to hear it. Many people don't want to hear it because they'd have to give up something. And so, Paul is saying to him here, look around you. Look around you. These philosophers out here, they're not interested in this. They don't care anything about this. These intellectuals that you know of that sit up there all, all day long and debate over some philosophical thought that one of them had, they're not interested. Don't let them look down on you because you're a Christian. Don't let anybody tell you the only reason you believe that's because you're stupid. Or that you don't have a proper education. The professors have invaded our seminaries. They wrecked the Methodist seminaries several years ago. They're trying again in the Southern Baptist Convention to wreck it. And this professor stands up there with his mortar board on top of his head and his tassel hanging down by his face and he says, Chester if you could see it like I see it, you would understand. You just ain't got what it takes to see it. And you have students entering the seminaries that they go in believing in the virgin birth. They go in believing in the, in the vicarious atonement of Christ, the bodily resurrection and all this. And they come out and they don't believe it anymore. Because some professor has talked it out of them. They heard some standard pulpit Baptist preacher teaching them. And they believed and they decided that's what they wanted to, to do. They felt they said called to preach. And some seminary professor ruins it, ruins them. Because he's smarter. I like old Brother Coon over at Red Laura. 
he's gone now to somewhere else, but he used to come to our meetings over there. I told him one day, I said, I quoted you in a sermon. He said, what's that? <clears throat> I said, every once in a while, you look at your congregation and you say, God is not only omnipotent, he's smart too. And he is. He's not only omnipotent, which means, I mean, omniscient, which means he knows everything, never learned anything, never will learn anything, never forgot anything. And he's smart, too. And Paul is showing them here how smart God is. Verses 27. And 28 says this, For God selected what in the world is foolish to put the wise to shame and what the world calls weak to put the strong to shame. And God also selected what in the world is lowborn and insignificant and branded and treated with contempt, even the things that are nothing, that he might depose and bring to nothing the things that are. This thing, little phrase here, the things that are nothing, the Jews referred to anyone who was not a Jew as a nothing. There are people in this world today who would consider us as nothing. People of power and might. We've got some of them in Washington, D.C. that consider us as nothing, not important. You know, you've heard of involuntary servitude. We have entered a time in this nation right now of voluntary servitude. We've got people in this country right now selling themselves into slavery and don't even know it. On the plantation, the plantation owned the house, owned the land, furnished our food, furnished our medical care, As a matter of fact, we got a little dab of money every month that was called a furnish. And it totaled up at the end of the year that it was taken out of your share of the crop. Sharecropper meant the landowner got 50% of the crop with no strings attached. You got 50% of the crop, but all the fertilizer, da, 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 seed and all that came out of your half. And you almost made it this year, boy. Maybe next year. But here's $100. Buy your kids something for Christmas. But that went on the book, too. Who owns the housing today? The plantation. It's called the government. Who takes care of the medical? The plantation. Who furnishes the food? The plantation. 
who tells you how to vote the plantation? Voluntary servitude. See, God uses the KISS principle and creative power. You know what the KISS principle is, don't you? Keep it simple, stupid. K-I-S-S. And God keeps it simple. And so, verse 29 says this, So that no mortal man should have pretense for glorying and boast in the presence of God. What do we have to brag about to God? God, I know why you saved me. Because I was special. Aha. Uh-huh. How many of you can brag that God saved you because of some merit that you have. What merit do I have to come before God? What people say, you got to do stuff for God. No, you got to let God do stuff through you because God don't need me to preach. God doesn't need me for anything. I need him for everything. If he tells me to preach, then what choice do I have? Whatever he tells you, he is sovereign God. See, we in this country don't understand sovereignty. People who live in a country where there's kings, they understand sovereignty. Because what the king says goes. And if he says you go, you go. If he says you die, you die. He's sovereign. The only difference is, is we've got a sovereign God that's absolutely righteous. He will never, ever decree anything that's not righteous. Ain't we glad about that? Even Solomon wasn't that wise. Otherwise, he'd have never had 2,000 mother-in-laws. So what do we have to brag about? To God. Remember the guy, the Jewish guy that was standing up there praying? I thank you that I'm not like that guy over there. I thank you that I, you know, I'm something special. Which one was righteous? The guy, and I didn't realize how this was done. I used to think it was. Like this, like the gorilla does. No. I said, watching a funeral one day over there in the Middle East. You know what it is when they beat their breast? That guy's over there beating his breast. Lord, be merciful to me. 
a sinner. A sign of contrition. A sign of hurt. A sign from the heart. I'm no good. I am a sinner. And Jesus said he went home justified. Then verses 30 and 31 says this. But it is from him that you have your life in Christ Jesus, whom God made our wisdom from God, our righteousness, and our consecration, and our redemption. All of this comes through Jesus Christ. And that's quite a study if you want to do it on righteousness. The only righteousness I have to stand in is the righteousness of Christ. Consecration. We're bought and paid for and consecrated to him. Redemption. We've been redeemed. We've been ransomed. We were redeemed out of the marketplace. Out of is the key word. You could go to a slave market. You could buy you a slave, and if it wasn't suitable, next week you put that slave back up on that block and sell that slave. But once you have been bought out of the marketplace, you can never, ever be put back in it again. So our redemption, we are out of the bondage of Satan. And so, then as it is written, let him who boasts and proudly rejoices and glories, boast and proudly rejoice and glory in the Lord. See, it is from him who deserves our honor, our praise, our glory, and our exaltation. This is the eternal Christ, the one who bought us with his own blood. And so that's what Paul's telling those Corinthians there. Don't let any of these philosophers, don't let any of these intellectuals look down their noses at you. And you don't worry about what you have not learned or what philosophies you have been exposed to. There's only one that you need to be concerned with. And that's Jesus, the Messiah. And Heavenly Father, we thank you for Jesus, the Messiah. We thank you for who he is and what he has done. Keep us near the cross. And do something in this church that only you can do. That will be obvious to the, those that observe that it is you that did it and not us. And thereby, 
be glorified in what you do in Jesus' name. Amen.